Hello? Yes, cool. Right. Can you hear me? <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Yeah, can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. So we're back together again. And we were saying, weren't we, it feels like we've been apart for, for ages, but really I think it's only been a couple of episodes. Yeah, I can't understand it, but it does feel like at least a month, yeah. uh, which is weird. But yeah, I had had COVID, unfortunately. So, And then my mom's in hospital, so you recorded solo last week. But uh, thanks for holding the fort. And yeah, we are back together and it's a really interesting case. I know I always say that, but this is something that happened in 2015. I remember it vividly and think about it quite often, actually, and have wanted to cover this for some time. You do and talk I'm not sure about her it's... quite a lot and what happened do to I? her. Do I? That's mm. interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if it's even technically a crime, but I wanted to do something a bit different anyway, so... Um, but civil charges were filed. Uh, so we have something to grasp at, I suppose. I think it's fine to sometimes do things that where you're questioning, you know, was there a crime or not? Because you, as long as you're not just talking about something completely off topic and then going, eh, it's not a crime, we won't bother like even trying to link it, then I don't see there's any issue with that. No. And I, I was really tempted to cover the, which is a really, this is a really horrible case and definitely not a crime. And it was the the on-air suicide of Christine Chubbuck. And I, so I really oh, wanted wow. to do something different. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, you might not know the name. You might know the name. Uh, she was a news reporter in America mm-hmm. that shot herself live on air and died died a few hours later. So I, 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 yeah, I was just sort of in the mood for doing something different. But then I thought with that one, that is too different. And I, d- I really didn't want anyone to get confused and think that I was saying that suicide yeah, was a crime. Yeah, you don't want that to even be ambiguous, do you? Cause... No. E- even back in the 70s, it wasn't a crime uh, where it happened uh, in that American state. So so I, I kind of compromised and, and went for, for this episode, which is the case of Bobby Christina Brown. But before we get there, let's take a moment to thank our new and returning Patreon supporters. So Beth and I'll let you do this because you fucking love I doing do, it, do I you? really do. Thank you so much to Courtney Nankin, Lisa Meller, Gemma Cropper, Lee Thomas, Elena Mahoney. Oh no, I said that oh so my God, weird. So... What a weird way to say it. It's I'm a... so sorry. It's Elaine Mahoney. Mahoney. Isn't it? Oh. No, it's Omani. Omani. I think it's pronounced Omani. Crikey, yeah. Elaine. I am really sorry, but we're leaving all of this in so you can have a laugh at me not being able to say your name. Omani? Yeah. Patrice C, Linda Smith, Fee Bakes, Alison Neary, Lindsay Pryor, and Dave Polney. Hillybilly? Why have you put Hillybilly? Because... Or Hillbilly? He's on... Yeah, on Patreon, his name is Dave Poultney, brackets Hillbilly. Oh, Hillbilly, I love it. Okay. Gosh, I'm I'm so blind as well. I can't, I'm not even sat that close to my laptop and I can't even read the word Hillbilly properly and thought it said Hillybilly. Honestly, guys, I'm hilly really billy. sorry. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. But thank so. you very much, new and returning Patreon supporters. Yeah, if you want to join these guys, then all you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. It only takes a couple of minutes to sign up. Loads of you have been doing so over the past couple of months. And there's loads of bonus content on there. So I won't um, go into loads of detail now, but but there is, you know, a fair bit going on. And it's just a great way to get more from the show and to support us as well. So yeah, patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. So this, um, as I said, this is possibly a little bit of a different episode. I've put some photos in for you. Beth, I did see those. Thank you very much. Off. I thought you'd like that. And doesn't she have a beautiful smile? Oh, she's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Really radiant. She just lights or lit up the room. I need to know who all the people are in the photos with her as well, please. Uh, so uh, this is not going to be very interesting for our listeners but photo (laughs) number one obviously is her. Photo two is actually mom and dad uh, and then mom below. Mum, dad, mum. What are you talking about? Well, the second photo is mum and dad, so Whitney and Bobby. Yeah. 
And then the third photo is just Oh, Mom I see you. I see what you mean. Yeah. Chrissy. Okay. Yeah. March the 4th in 2015, heralded the 22nd birthday of Bobby Christina Brown, known affectionately as Chrissy to her friends and family. But what should have been a day of celebration, filled with joy and laughter, turned out to be a far more sombre affair. For the past six weeks, Chrissy had been in a coma, following a mammoth drug binge, which ended with her lying face down in a bathtub, unconscious and blue. As Chrissy lay in her hospital bed on her 22nd birthday, her family agonised over her condition. For six weeks now, she had shown no signs of improvement. As her father Bobby would later comment, she was a vegetable. But it would take a further four months for her family to unanimously agree to turn off her life support machine and transfer Chrissy into the care of a hospice, where she would eventually die a month later, on the 26th of July in 2015. It's just one of those situations that you just can't imagine the decision to, to you have to take. That's so heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, because she's clinging on, not showing any signs of improvement and being kept alive by machines. But there is always that hope, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And that's what the family had for months and months. And I think some of the family did get to this position a bit quicker than Bobby, her dad. um, And he really struggled with coming to that decision that there was nothing else they could do. There is perhaps an air of inevitability in all of this. For despite being born into what could be perceived by some as a life of privilege, Bobby Christina Brown had in fact been born into chaos, a life filled with neglect and turmoil. Perhaps her untimely death was written in the stars. By the time Chrissy came into the world on the 4th of March in 1993, her mother, renowned singer and actress Whitney Houston, was already in the grip of drug addiction. Having recently made her big screen debut in the romantic thriller The Bodyguard, Whitney Houston was riding the crest of a wave of renewed success. The film, which became the 10th highest grossing movie of all time, spawned an award-winning soundtrack, which Whitney co-executive produced, and her cover of the Dolly Parton classic, I Will Always Love You, quickly became the best-selling physical single by a woman in music history, earning Whitney a much-coveted Grammy Award for Record of the Year. Wow, that's a bit of an accolade, isn't it? Massively, and this, this was a hugely selling album. I think she only sang on six of the tracks because it was a the the soundtrack to the movie but she did co-executive produce it so she would have made an awful lot of money from this I would have thought as well but despite this huge professional success Whitney's personal life was spiraling out of control as she welcomed the birth of her daughter with husband Bobby Brown just months later in 1993. By 1996, Whitney and Bobby were using drugs on a daily basis, and whilst they tried to hide this from their three-year-old daughter, there was only so much they could do as they gorged themselves silly on crack cocaine. Chrissy was dragged around the world on private jets by her wayward parents as they toured the globe. She missed out on any semblance of a normal childhood. An only child, Chrissy grew particularly close to her mother, but it didn't take long for the mother-daughter roles to become reversed. Chrissy, exposed to a world no child should bear witness to, soon grew wise beyond her years. And despite the madness that surrounded her, she became a sensitive, wise and sweet girl as she entered her teens in the mid-noughties. And interestingly, it would appear that this period of accelerated maturity for Chrissy coincided with the peak of her mother's drug addiction, which I thought was interesting. I think it is. I think you either go one way or the other and she's really kind of taking everything and and actually trying to make the best of the world that she's in. Yeah, and trying to get some level of control, I would say, in in the chaos. Yeah. Um, Probably a stupid question. Don't know enough about makeup. Is Bobby Brown the founder of the makeup company? Is that the right person? No. Oh, something completely different, just the same name. Yeah, nothing to do with that. I've not gone into a lot of detail. Yeah, I do. Yeah, so he was a singer. He was quite big in the 80s. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, but unfortunately, his addiction to drugs um, really saw the end of his career, as oh, it wow. did for Whitney too, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he was a very successful guy. By 2005, Whitney was a fucking mess. Her addiction to crack cocaine had cost her her teeth, her looks and her voice. She was painfully thin and she wasn't just neglecting her daughter at this point. She was also neglecting her career, her finances, her home, her personal hygiene and she was also descending into a state of paranoid delusion. 
Obviously, the same goes for Chris's father, Bobby Brown, who was also in the grip of addiction at this time. God, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's just so horrible to think of. And this child kind of growing up and she's becoming a teenager and she's growing up in this. That's just awful. Yeah, complete, a, a world of complete chaos. It really would have been. In her 2013 book, Remembering Whitney, My Story of Love, Loss and the Night the Music Stopped, Sissy Houston, Whitney's mother, described the scene she encountered at Whitney's house in 2005 as follows. And just for context, Chrissy was just 12 years old at this time. Quote, Somebody had spray-painted the walls and door with big, glaring eyes and strange faces. Evil eyes staring out like a threat. Oh, God. Yeah. In another room, there was a big framed photo of Whitney, but someone had cut her head out. It was beyond disturbing seeing my daughter's face cut out like that. So, I mean, that just summarises that level of paranoia that you can descend into when you become addicted to cocaine and crack cocaine and other stimulants and other kind of drugs as well. And this visit led Sissy, Whitney's mother, to return with law enforcement and an intervention was staged, essentially. So Whitney was subsequently admitted into an exclusive rehab facility, but very sadly was using again within hours of being released. And in 2006, photos emerged in the National Enquirer purportedly showing Whitney Houston's bathroom. And I could literally gag at the scene depicted mm-hmm. in these photos. I remember these photos. I thought oh. you might. And I, I, I did mean to include them in the script, but I'll, I'll put didn't. them on our socials. Well, I'll put them on all the socials for all our listeners, but probably a lot of you are familiar with with these photos. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the bathroom is filthy. Obviously, that goes without saying. It's piled high with crap. There's just crap everywhere. There's discarded lighters, empty cans of Budweiser everywhere. The mirror's dirty, like someone's spaffed all over it. Oh, my God. Mark, I I'm just sorry. really wrote that in your script as you were about to say it. <laughs> I wanted oh. to make sure I didn't forget uh, because that's what came to mind when I saw the mirror. And there is, of <laughs> course, discarded drug paraphernalia everywhere. There's crack oh. pipes, drug residue, residue uh, small rocks of crack. It, it, you know, it's just vile, isn't mm-hmm. it? And uh, these photos were taken by Whitney's sister-in-law, Tina Brown, that's Bobby's sister, following a days-long crack binge with Whitney at her house. And it really looked like they were kind of living in the bathroom. It's just, I I guess maybe there was an attempt to hide this from from Chrissy. Um, So they were taking the drugs in the bathroom and getting up to all sorts of other stuff in there. I don't know. And I imagine as well the bathroom being in a sort of house that they're in the size of the bathroom. It's not like in my downstairs loo or something you're not crammed in as much so it's a bit different but even still that's just oh it's just and I don't know I can't imagine it like not being able to then just go and enjoy your lounge or your garden or something yeah I mean she'd turn this bathroom into a crack den and without sounding like a complete wanker there's a real sort of juxtaposition between this marble expensive Mm -hmm. bathroom and this uh, litter or litany of crack pipes and yeah, discarded beer cans. You know, it's really weird to see. Mm-hmm. And I suppose my reason for going into all of this detail is that Chrissy, a 13 year old girl at this point in 2006, was being brought up, dragged up in circumstances that can only be described as unholy bedlam. I'm not sure whether she had a nanny at this time or how involved her wider family were in her upbringing, but she wasn't taken off her mum or dad. She wasn't rescued. She was there pretty much the whole time witnessing her mother and father's, I would say, descent into drug addiction, but this is all she had known her whole life they had Mm. been using. So um, she was surrounded by this, despite their best intentions to keep it from her. And of course, this went on to have a lasting and dangerous impact on how her life would play out in later years. It's absolutely mad to think of, isn't it? And I'm sure we can all think of somebody who's had not the best upbringing and they've done amazingly well to come out of it the other side. And yet I've never known anyone who's had to deal with something like this. Like this is just crazy. I think there's a real danger, as I, as I said a bit earlier on, some people might have perceived that Bobby Christina Brown was born into a life of privilege because her parents had money and they were superstars. But mm. that is just a gilded cage. When you strip all of that crap away, she's being brought up by drug addicts in what is essentially a crack den. Yeah, and just because you've got the private jets and that lifestyle, you don't have 
the love and the nourishment, you know, for your heart and soul as well as physically. You don't have that kind of loving rela- uh, environment to be growing up in. No, and I, just before we sort of move on, it it wasn't a loving environment, but there was some love there between Whitney in particular and Chrissy. Oh yeah, um, I'm I, sure. I do believe that. Yeah, I'm sure there was, and especially as you said, they're trying to slightly trying to hide things, not doing a great job, but they're trying to hide it from her. There's some level of trying to protect her, but it's not what your child actually needs. No, and and you know they they're drug addicts, so they there was nothing they could do to provide a better home life for her. No. So to cut a long story short, because this isn't about Whitney, it's about Chrissy. let's fast forward to 2012 as we bring this particular chapter to a close. It's Thursday the 9th of February and 48-year-old Whitney Houston is out partying at a nightclub in West Hollywood. She's in town for the Grammys and has spent the past two days rehearsing for her upcoming performance at the infamous Clive Davis pre-Grammy party, which is due to take place in two days' time. With her on this work trip is daughter Chrissy, who is by now 18 years old, as well as 21-year-old Nick Gordon, a childhood friend of Chrissy's, more on him later, and a number of assistants and, of course, various hangers-on. It's been six years now since those infamous pictures of Whitney's bathroom emerged in the National Enquirer, and over the preceding six years, she appears to have got her shit together. A divorce from Bobby Brown in 2007 gave Whitney the clean break she so desperately needed, and a further stint or five in rehab appeared to have been successful. She certainly looked better now. That radiant glow from the early 90s was back, and so too was her musical prowess. In 2009, she released a number one album and toured across the world. She also agreed to a tell-all interview with Oprah Winfrey in which she finally publicly acknowledged her historic drug problems and this was seen as a huge step forward for Whitney in the eyes of the public because for years she had denied that she had a problem but in admitting that she was a recovering drug addict she was finally taking ownership of her life. Yeah, I mean that sounds like um, it all sounds incredibly positive I imagine from looking in at her life and being on the outside you're kind of thinking wow like she's admitted this and she's working towards things you know she's had some rehab stints and they seem to have been successful but she's still able to go out and party that sounds all pretty good doesn't it it does yeah it sounds good yeah so yeah you're right it would appear that Whitney's life is back on track as she parties a night away in West Hollywood on that Thursday night in 2012 But sadly, it's not. It's all an elaborate facade, a comeback story concocted by a team of clever publicists and PRs, because Whitney remains firmly in the grip of drug addiction. Indeed, on the night in question, she is seen hoovering up multiple lines of cocaine at the club. Her drug-addled brain sees her grow increasingly paranoid as the night goes on, and she later gets into a scuffle with an X Factor contestant. It's a messy end to a messy night. Whitney wakes late the next day in her suite at the Beverly Hilton Hotel in Beverly Hills. Accompanied by daughter Chrissy, she heads to a convenience store in the hotel's lobby and completely freaks out when she sees her dishevelled face splashed across the front pages of the National Enquirer. God, can, you can't even imagine, can you? Like, she's, she's this big and this public and obviously she's making these mistakes and she's you know, saying all the, you know, the publicists have encouraged her to make all these lies and these stories to sort of say that she's better and that sort of thing. And maybe she almost was believing, well, I'm turning a corner and all of this. And then you see yourself like, I just can't imagine how that must feel. Yeah, I I think she wanted to, I think she and everybody around her really wanted to believe in this comeback, Mm. that she was better. And she looked great. Um, and maybe for her, we don't know, but maybe for her at this time, her drug addiction was more in control or under control than it was previously. Maybe yeah. she had certain rules. Or maybe uh, she thought that it was at least. Yeah, but of course it never is. But um, yeah, I, we just don't know, I suppose. But this mm. um, this article in the National Enquirer was quite prophetic and it was predicting her untimely end and it just screamed out at her. Um, So Chrissy managed to calm her mother down and Whitney then heads back to her suite where she pops a number of prescription drugs in order to sedate herself. Now, there are a total of eight different prescription drugs in Whitney's suite. 
The rest of the day thankfully passes without further incident and as dawn breaks on the day of the pre-Grammy party, Saturday the 11th of February, Whitney once again wakes in her suite at the Beverly Hilton. After days of drinking and drug taking, Whitney wakes up feeling like shit and decides to take a bath. She chops out a line of cocaine while she runs a bath and then greedily snorts the crystal white powder before taking a dip in the tub. Minutes later, Whitney's assistant arrives at her suite and lets herself in. When she sees water seeping out from under the bathroom door, she races in and sees Whitney lying face down in the bathwater. Calling for help, daughter Chris's friend Nick Gordon arrives and pulls Whitney out of the bath before performing CPR on her while Whitney's assistant calls the emergency services. But of course it's too late. Just minutes after being discovered, Whitney is pronounced dead at the scene. I feel like a lot of our listeners will remember sort of where they were when they heard about this or what the situation was when they kind of found out about this. It was so massive and it's just, yeah, such a horrific tragedy. Yeah, she was 48 years old and everybody knew that she led a troubled life and had struggled with drug addiction. But it was all the more shocking because, yeah, it did look like to us, I suppose, that she was back on track. But sadly, that that wasn't the case. It would later be ascertained that Whitney died as a result of drowning and the effects of heart disease and cocaine use. So not really suspicious, this one. Pathologist Dr Richard Shepherd believes the cocaine acted as a local anaesthetic in this situation. So really Whitney didn't realise how hot the bathwater was when she got in and she subsequently went into shock, fell forward, potentially hit her head and drowned. All very sad, of course, but as I said, not really suspicious, is it? No, really, really sad, but um, not unexpected when this is kind of the lifestyle you're living. I agree. I, You know, the one thing I've learnt from this, and as we'll go on to find out a bit later on, um, basically, if you're... If you are addicted to drugs or alcohol, just don't ever take a fucking bath. It's really not wise. And there are Mm -hmm. definitely other cases where people have done that and died, um, very sadly. So we're going to pick straight up now with Bobby Christina. Um, So, yeah, we left Whitney dead on the floor of her bathroom in Suite 434 at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. As I said, she was just 48 years old and she left 18-year-old daughter Bobby Christina in her wake. Understandably, Chrissy was absolutely distraught at her mother's death. In the days that followed, she was admitted to hospital on two separate occasions. She was in severe state of shock. She was self-medicating herself with drink and drugs at this time. And she was just a complete mess and she's only 18 years old. She'd lost her mom, and Whitney may have not been the best mom in the world, but she was Chrissy's mom and she was all she knew. And the two had formed a close bond. And although not a traditional mother-daughter relationship... They were close, really close, perhaps too close, some would say. It's so tough, isn't it? Because um, obviously from the outside, you're just kind of like, don't you start using drink and drugs? Like, don't self-medicate. Have you not seen this is what happened? But equally, what else does she know? How else does she know to deal with things? This, Yeah, this is 100% normal for her. And there are there is some anecdotal evidence that actually Chrissy and Mum Whitney had gone to rehab together to be treated for substance abuse which is heartbreaking to know that Mm. mother and daughter were both addicted to drugs and Chrissy would have very much been a child at that point so I know that um, pictures emerged of Chrissy taking cocaine at the age of 17 of her smoking from a bong I think at 15 so she she was experimenting with drugs this sweet uh, sensitive girl of 13 14 had, had soon uh, developed into um, somebody who who was starting to abuse drugs herself at the age of 15, mm. 16, 17, yeah. In the months following her mother's death, Chrissy lent on childhood friend Nick Gordon more and more. The two had first met not at school, as has been widely reported, but outside a cinema in Atlanta, Georgia, their hometown. Although Nick was three years older than Chrissy, the two struck up a friendship. When Nick's mom threw him out at the age of 18, Whitney offered to take him in and she unofficially adopted him. This was in around 2008, so that would be like two years after those pictures emerged of Whitney's bathroom and a year after she divorced Bobby. So it kind of around the time she was getting her shit together, at least publicly. Nick moved in with Whitney and Chrissy and immediately quit school. 
He had a part-time job too, but Whitney told him that had to go as well. He didn't need to work now, she said, and besides, work and school wouldn't be conducive to her life on the road. So you see that real selfish element Mm. of, of her. What started out as a platonic friendship between Chrissy and Nick soon became intimate in the months following Whitney's death and the pair leaned on each other as they grieved for the loss of their mum. Even though Nick was never officially adopted by Whitney, she always encouraged him to call her mum. The relationship between Chrissy and Nick became serious and the two became engaged in late 2012, just a few months after Whitney's death. Both now in receipt of a generous allowance from Whitney's estate, the pair moved into an apartment together. And it was from this point onwards that their lives began to mirror that of Whitney and her husband Bobby, Chris's father, as they descended into addiction and chaos. Both Chrissy and Nick were deeply scarred by Whitney's passing, of course they were. Nick blamed himself for not being able to save her and Chrissy desperately missed her mum. Together they began to self-medicate with a deadly cocktail of drink and drugs, spending up to $1,000 a day on a combination of cocaine, opiates and benzodiazepines. I couldn't really think about this, but yeah, I didn't realise quite how close he was to Whitney. So not only is this, um, you know, you're trying to save your your friend's mum, which I kind of assumed it was, actually, it's as if he's trying to save his own mum when he was performing that CPR. Like, that's going to really eat away at you, isn't it? That's... Yeah. So hard to think of. This would have been quite a fucked up relationship and family dynamic. Mm. Nick Nick was never officially adopted. Uh, Nick and Chrissy protest that they didn't become intimate. Um, whilst Whitney was alive as as they lived what you know essentially I suppose as brother and sister and that only happened after Whitney died but yeah there was there was a lot of talk in in the media and on social media that this was an inappropriate relationship that it was incest but Nick was never officially adopted by Whitney and despite essentially living as brother and sister they did go on to to have a, a an intimate relationship do you know what though? I, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because really, there's there's no blood relation there, and no. if you're if you have that attraction, anyway, like you might meet some, and it's always that weird thing, isn't it? When you find out, like when there's people in the news where they kind of go, "Oh, we got together and then found out we're long lost siblings," and it's really cringe. But like it this is isn't so the same. Cringe. It's the opposite. This is the opposite. They they are brought together out of their control. So yeah. if they were to fall in love, well, that, like that's you can never be like, oh, well, that's incest because no, like I didn't, I kind of find that really harsh from the media. But then also equally, if they are saying they definitely didn't when they were brought up as brother and sister, well, then fair play because they obviously didn't. Like that's yeah, it's so hard, isn't it, to kind of get your head around. But even then, their life wouldn't have been a normal brother and sister life. Like my children aren't going to get jet you know, jetted around the world and go to all these parties and stuff. It's already an unusual life. And I think Nick was about 18 when he moved in with Whitney. Um, So Chrissy would have been 15. Uh, So he was technically an adult, not Mm -hmm. legally, I suppose, in America's eyes. But he was, you know... A grown-ass man. For us, he is, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't a child. So, And and really, I suppose the best way to look at it is this is sort of a friend of Chris's moving in when he's having a tough time. So, Mm -hmm. um, My mum did that in the past, not like had people move in, but my mum would always be there if my friends needed somewhere to come to or to stay or something and they were going through stuff. My mum would never question. She'd always be like, yep, hot food on the table, help yourselves. Um, so I just wanted to set a little bit of context here because it's a very different kind of grief for a child who loses a parent to drug addiction. Elizabeth Burton Phillips, a CEO of the charity Drug Fam, explains that children who lose parents to addiction are often dealing with very different circumstances to those dealing with other types of bereavement. She said in an interview with The Telegraph, it's a double bereavement process. When you have someone in the family who has an addiction, that's a bereavement in itself. You lose the mother or father they were. Then there's the dreadful double whammy with death. It's what's called the second bereavement. This means that people who lose their parents to addictions go through a double grief process. And when their parent dies, they may have a lot of conflicting feelings, which is understandable, isn't it? So Chrissy might have seen her friend's mum's 
lead a more traditional life and role as a mom and have really felt that she missed out as she grew up so even though she always knew her mom as a drug taker I suppose there must have been a sense of you know what if and I am missing out and a sense of grief there at the mom that she could have had that the mom Whitney could have been. Dr Christine Valentine, a research associate in sociology at Bath University, who has written extensively on bereavement and substance abuse, said in the same article, One of the difficulties is to do with having lived with somebody who has been taking drugs, as often it happens for a few years by the time that person dies. Family members, particularly children, are very worn down. It obviously makes it even harder and more stressful when they die and you go through that bereavement process. So I suppose the point she's making is that Chrissy has has just lived this troubled life, a really difficult life. She's probably really fucking worn down by it already Mm -hmm. and has seen the depths of depravity that people can descend to. And then she's mourning her mom. So she's not probably the strongest person to be grieving the loss of, of their mom at a time like this. Yeah, it's just there's so much more going into it and the loss of somebody at any time is going to be horrific and have a lot of emotions and feelings attached. But when you've already almost grieved for the loss of a mum that you never had because you've never had, you know, Tina from school's mum who bakes cookies every weekend and is on the PTA and your mum doesn't, like maybe you're already grieving that a little bit and then you might feel guilt as well because, well, I wished that she was like so-and-so's mum more and there's so much to it isn't there there is and I think there is also a sense of stigma potentially Mm -hmm. so Dr Christine Valentine goes on to say these children have suffered bereavement but because of the stigma attached to this kind of death somehow the family gets tainted People think they must have been complicit and they should have prevented it. Sometimes it's even within families. The person can then feel they don't have the right to grieve or be supported. So Chrissy might, Mm -hmm. she might have felt a real sense of guilt that she was using with her mother, um, and therefore complicit in her mum's death. Or she very sad. She overhears conversations from other family members where they're like, "Oh well, well, you didn't step in," or like, "Oh well, why didn't Chrissy stop her that time?" Like anything that she might overhear, or family members who are saying, "Well, I should have stopped the two of them." Like, why was I not stronger at stopping them or making them go to rehab? God, there's there's so much to unpack with this, isn't there? There's so, so many different dynamics at play. Absolutely. So I I think it's safe to say that it's a very complex process, one which most of us thankfully won't be privy to. But I do so feel for Chrissy. It's a life that could have been a life that was probably perceived by the outside world, as I said, to be privileged, but absolutely wasn't. And I feel for Nick too. Abandoned by his mother, only to be taken in by Whitney, a woman who, in his words, provided him with advice and guidance, only to then be abandoned by her, as he had been abandoned before by his biological mother. Does that make sense? It does. And I feel like because that's, you said, like, it was in his own words that he felt abandoned and abandoned. It's not us trying to put something in, you know, into his mind and trying to put words in his mouth, actually that was how he felt he felt abandoned and a lot of people do when somebody leaves you feel that anger at the person who's died yeah. even though you know it's not their fault that they've died and they're not there that they've left you actually yeah he he was abandoned and then abandoned again again yeah I, I do just want to make it clear at this point though um i i really don't want to paint nick's biological mother in a bad light i've seen her interviewed and she's absolutely lovely and i think the only reason she threw nick out in his late teens was because he was causing merry hell at home and this was almost like tough love her last oh, ditch okay, attempt wow. at, at knocking some sense into him so yeah yeah she's she's absolutely lovely and she she really um tried to support nick but for him, that was just how he felt, I guess. And yeah, maybe yeah, that, maybe uh, that yeah. lure of like money and fame and partying was I guess what he so. already wanted. And that's why he was being a bit of a nightmare teen. And then he gets that with his friend and her and her mum. And it's like, oh, yeah. well, that's actually not the right thing for you. But in his mind, it would have been. Yeah. In early 2014, Chrissy inherited 10% of her mother's estate a sum close to $2 million, and she and Nick bought a large house in Atlanta. There, their drug use and associated partying ramped up and continued unabated. 
Over the next 12 months, the police attended Chrissy and Nick's home on numerous occasions, usually as a result of late-night partying or following reports of domestic violence from neighbours. I mean, that's unsurprising. If you're using and partying into the early hours, arguments are going to break out, aren't they? That is... Yeah. But for neighbours to be making reports, I imagine, like, where the house... You know, if they're buying a large house in Atlanta, it's not going to be a terrace... So that's no. loud if your neighbours are already calling the police. Yeah, it wasn't like a mansion or anything. I've seen no. a picture of it. It's like a four-storey townhouse. So in a, it would be in an upmarket area. It, w- it would have been an mm. expensive house. Um, but yeah, the neighbours must have witnessed some incidents uh, outside of the home of, of Bobby and Nick arguing and that getting mm-hmm. physical, I think. Periodically, the couple sought out the limelight, with Chrissy apparently desperate to follow in her mother's footsteps. And indeed, she did meet some of Whitney's influential contacts in the music business. But it came to nothing. Her voice wasn't special enough, and besides, she was in no state to go into the recording studio. It was apparent now that Chrissy so desperately needed help, and so too did Nick. When Whitney was alive, there were times when she encouraged all three of them actually to attend rehab together. So I know I talked about this a bit before and these reports are sketchy. So it's not overly clear if Nick was attending rehab with Chrissy and Whitney to treat his own addictions or they're in a supportive capacity for Whitney. But Nick in later interviews did talk about the fact that he believed Whitney and Chrissy were both struggling from drug addiction and receiving treatment Um, but he kind of denied that himself he said he was there I think more in a supportive capacity but either way without Whitney they were even more lost than when she was with them Aside from the occasional forays into show business with sporadic trips to LA to represent Whitney at the Grammys, for example, the pair kept themselves to themselves in Atlanta, prioritising their addictions above everything else. They lived a chaotic life which saw them neglect themselves as they too had been neglected in adolescence. Numerous driving convictions followed, for example, with both Chrissy and Nick being pulled up in 2014 for DUIs and road traffic accidents. And I sort of think that's symptomatic of their mm-hmm. lifestyle and their drug gotcha. taking. Definitely. You see that a lot, don't you? People like Katie Price, multiple driving convictions, Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, all these people had major driving convictions at certain periods in their life and it was usually it would coincide with an addiction uh, think, so yeah yeah you're just not thinking clearly anyway and then you're going to make those risky decisions but also yeah potentially because you're trying to hide things from people you're then getting in your car yourself whereas previously you may have asked someone to go and buy something for you now you're and, not going you to risk and you're just under the influence when you're getting mm-hmm. behind the the wheel, the wheel of a car so your judgment's impaired and yeah, yeah this is what exactly this is what we saw definitely um certainly in in the last 12 months of of Chris's life one particularly serious incident on January the 27th in 2015 saw Chrissy lose control of her car while driving on the Atlanta freeway with her friend 18-year-old Daniela Bradley Chrissy lost control of her vehicle, swerved across a number of lanes of traffic and then collided with another car. And this was a major accident which left both the driver of the other car and Chrissy's friend, 18-year-old Daniela, seriously injured and both of them required hospital treatment. Uh, Chrissy uh, escaped unscathed. And I just think, yeah, this all points towards Chrissy's chronic drug abuse at this time. She swerved across multiple lanes of traffic. This is a, a crazy freeway, like the equivalent of two motorways, I suppose, put mm. together. And it, it's very clear that Chris's life is just spiralling out of control now. Two days later, after this car crash, on January the 29th, Chrissy posted the following quote on her social media. Getting your shit together is one thing, keeping it together is another. Oh, that's really sad, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, mm. you know, there's, there's clearly this sort of attempt to want to regain control in her life and maybe that car crash was a bit of a wake-up call for her later that day she posted i get hit i get up i get hit i get knocked down seven times get up eight this was then followed by on my own and i think we we don't know for sure but this i think for me points to relationship problems with nick 
Is she detailing a fight between them? Is she talking about domestic abuse? Based on what happens next, I think that's extremely likely. So when she's talking about getting hit, I think she means literally. Literally. Because I was wondering, is this, you know, a, a metaphor for something? But then... If your brain's in that sort of mindset, are you really going to be thinking up clever metaphors or are you going to just be quite literal and mm. that's sad? Because that's what I worry. Like when you first read that quote, I was kind of like, oh, that sounds, it sounds physical, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And with the reports of domestic violence between the pair and the the lifestyles that they were leading, it, it really seems like uh, a domestic abuse situation here perhaps both ways but i think mostly directed at chrissy from nick now reports vary as to the events that occurred over the next couple of days just for context at this time late january in 2015 chrissy and nick had two house guests living with them max lomas and then girlfriend daniela bradley the same daniela that had been traveling with chrissy when she crashed a car a couple of days earlier on the atlanta freeway oh so she wasn't that mad at her that she didn't oh, break no. off the friendship entirely or anything they not at all got out no. of hospital I, and then continued to stay and i think so I, i'm not sure if she was still in hospital for a few days around this time or whether she was back home because she was certainly absent when the events that will come to in a moment occurred, I think it gets a bit messy. Some reports, so it is a bit messy, some reports state that Chrissy, Max, this house guest, and Nick, Chrissy's boyfriend, went out to a local bar on the night of January the 30th in 2015. Other reports state that only Max and Nick went out with Chrissy staying at home. And to be fair, this isn't actually that important. So whether it was Chrissy, Max and Nick or just Nick and his friend Max, it doesn't really matter who went out. What we do know is that Max, Chrissy and Nick uh, are all at the house at 6am on the 31st of January. Oh, so even if they all went out or some of them went out, everyone had come home. Yeah, everyone had come home or Chrissy's been at home and then... And Max and Nick have, have arrived mm-hmm. home uh, at that time. But we know that they are all in the house at 6am on the 31st of January. So there are now a couple of versions of events from here. One, a cable guy arrives at the house to fix some cable type shit. Max <laughs> lets him in. Cable guy needs to go into the bathroom. Max takes him there and discovers Chrissy face down in the bath. Max then pulls her out, screams for Nick. Nick performs CPR, Max calls 911 and Chrissy is taken to hospital. So would so do we know about the cable guy is this like has the cable guy ever come forward and corroborated anything do we know? Not that I not that I could see. I did I genuinely did extensive research into this, watched loads of documentaries, mm. read loads of shit. Um yeah, like I I couldn't see anything about okay. that. Okay. Version 2. Unnamed witness, believed to be Daniela Bradley, states Nick arrives home at 6am. So this is obviously Chris's boyfriend. She said that he then, well, this unnamed witness, believed to be Daniela Bradley, says that Nick reviews internal CCTV footage at the house as he suspects Chrissy has been having an affair. He then argues with Chrissy, drugs her and plunges her into the bath before leaving her to die and then enters the bedroom of Daniela Bradley where he says, quote, now I want a pretty little white girl. Oh God, that's horrific if that's... oh. So, um... Daniela really well we don't know but I think it's safe to say this unnamed witness was was possibly Daniela Bradley uh really is implicating Nick in Chris's death wow Mm -hmm. um but then there are other reports that say that Daniela Bradley wasn't there at the time that it was just Max so it is a little bit messy but yeah we have those two versions of events that Chrissy is just found in the bath face down um, or that Nick has come home, reviewed CCTV footage, got into a fight with Bobby, with Chrissy, Bobby Christina, and drugged her and then put her in the bath. Um, so we don't really know. Um, but when Chrissy was admitted to hospital after being found in the bath unconscious, it became apparent that she'd lost two front teeth, which I think is obviously very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of force in something like that. Yeah, uh, she was bruised and her lips were swollen. And I think Daniela does go on record to say that uh, Nick and Chrissy had a fight a couple of days before this when those teeth were knocked out. So, Oh, sorry. So they're not like knocked out in the bath. 
It could could be could be that it could was knocked be. out of the bath. Could be that it was a fight before. We've only got oh God, someone's okay, yeah. word to go on that. That's why it's quite messy. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think it's safe to say that, that there was certainly domestic abuse going on. And um, yeah, if Nick didn't knock her teeth out a couple of days before she was found, he might have knocked them out on the morning of January the 31st. In the hours before she was found in the bath, he might have put her in the bath. Or she might have just fallen in the bath as a mom had and um, smashed her face in. But I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think that is really what happened um, based on the autopsy findings. Toxicology results confirmed that Chrissy had five different drugs in her system when she was taken into hospital. So cocaine, morphine, marijuana and two different types of benzodiazepines. And FYI, in regards to the morphine, it couldn't be determined whether this was a derivative compound of heroin or from a pain medication like oxycodone or something. So, um yeah, there's various reports. I just don't know. As far as I know, there were no track marks on Chris's body. So she hadn't been injecting heroin. She could have been smoking it, though. But with respect, she was actually so fucked up at this time. If she was going to be taking heroin, then she would have absolutely been injecting it, I'm sure. I think the morphine that showed up in the toxicology was as a result of something like Oxycontin, Oxycodone. Um mm-hmm. Not that important in the grand scheme of things, but important to me. Um, No, but it's one of those little um, elements that's interesting. Yeah, because heroin in toxicology won't ever show up as heroin or even its chemical name, diamorphine. It will just show up as morphine. So it's always a difficult one. She could have been taking morphine, to be fair. Um, But yeah, I think it was pain medication that was being abused, uh, along with cocaine and benzodiazepines and, of course, alcohol. So as, I, as I've kind of said, I know it's all a bit complex, but essentially we have two scenarios here. Chrissy has gotten out of her mind on a combination of drugs, totally possible, and then taken a bath and basically drowned, half drowned, or Nick has drugged her and drowned her or half drowned her, um, which is also, of course, totally possible. Or there is actually a third scenario. It could be that Chrissy had taken drugs voluntarily and then Nick took advantage of her vulnerable state and tried to drown her. Or maybe Chrissy had overdosed and Nick was attempting to revive her in the bath. And this is known as the plunge. Oh, yes, and it's like something. Get your heart to kind of jolt with the adrenaline yeah. of the. You know, the shock of everything, bath. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, mm. you, you run a really cold bath and it's, yeah, absolutely a way of trying to... if that was the to... case, surely you'd be saying that that's what you did, like... I suppose so, it's yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Would. It's an interesting factor, though. But I, I never knew, I only from this case, I knew back in 2015 when I kind of followed this case a bit, I, I then heard about this technique known as the plunge, but I'd never heard of it before. Not that I need to know about it, but... I thought that's interesting and obviously that's something that is sort of well known in in those sort of circles. Not saying it works, but might do. So an unnamed witness, once again presumed to be Daniela Bradley, stated that on an unspecified day in January 2015, so this is kind of what I talked about, and this is literally days before Chrissy was found unresponsive in the bath, following an argument between Nick and Chrissy, Nick lunged at Chrissy, knocking a tooth out before dragging her by her hair, leaving traces of blood on the floor. Oh my God, um, that's horrendous. Yeah, Nick, Nick of course denied this, but... Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I suppose I forgot about this. So it does look like perhaps they, there had been an incident a couple of days before mm. and the teeth were knocked out, um, not on the morning that she was found in the bath and not as a result of falling in the bath. Nick did admit to going into Daniela's bedroom before Chrissy was later found unconscious in the bath, but he said he only slept at the bottom of the bed and didn't say that bit about him wanting a pretty little white girl. Whatever happened on that fateful morning, the end result was the same. Chrissy ended up drug-addled and half-drowned in a bathtub, the exact same fate that had befallen her mother just three years earlier. And we have to kind of say that Nick Gordon had been in the vicinity on both occasions. That's an interesting kind of point to put in. Although, would would he have like chosen to do anything considering... Whitney was his mum and like not his mum but like a mother figure and all of this 
Might have wanted the inheritance. inheritance, yeah. Might have wanted control over Chrissy, might have been jealous of Chrissy's relationship with Whitney. There was also anecdotal evidence that Nick was both Christina, uh, Chrissy's and Whitney's drug dealer. So he was supplying both of them with drugs. So just, you know, he Hmm. is a bad, bad guy. Um. Okay, so we'll kind of park that suspicion there. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's an interesting point to make, but um, yeah. I guess we'll never, ever, ever know. No, we won't. And that's why I said when I talked about Whitney being found in, in the bath at the Beverly Hilton, you know, not really suspicious, you know, that's fair to say it wasn't suspicious. I just think it's an interesting fact that Chrissy goes on to die in a very similar way or yeah. you know, is found unconscious in a very similar way uh, just three years later. Chrissy was taken to hospital and was said to be responding to treatment initially, but it wasn't long before she had to be placed into an induced coma. Doctors were quickly able to establish that she had suffered catastrophic brain damage. Chrissy's family, of course, wanted answers, but none of Nick's explanations were making any sense, and I think this is why it's quite complex in trying to ascertain what the fuck happened on the morning of the 31st of January in 2015. I think this is it. If you could at least get a serious answer or a proper answer, you'd have some somewhere to go with, with dealing and unpicking your grief. But if yeah. you're just getting mixes of answers, you just don't even know how to feel and how to process what's happening to your daughter slash loved one. And Nick's out of his mind on drugs still. He's fucked. He, he's not going to make any sense. So Chrissy's family were, as I said, suspicious of of Nick and they barred him from the house that he had shared with Chrissy and also banned him from visiting her in hospital. On the 8th of February, Chrissy's family issued Nick with a multi-million dollar lawsuit accusing him of serious crimes against Chrissy, including abuse, theft, assault and wrongful death. Now the theft charges related to $11,000 being taken from Chris's account in the days following her admittance to hospital. Wow, okay. Yeah. So, you know, he's taken 11 grand out and gone on an almighty bender. I imagine as well, like, if you have this lawsuit, you're kind of hoping for, in court, that he has to answer truthfully to certain questions or give answers for stuff. I guess you're kind of, it's not necessarily about having him convicted it's almost more about well we haven't had the answers from conversations so maybe in a legal standpoint you have to tell us the truth yeah it's it's an opportunity to get to the truth it's not about money nick doesn't have that money it's a multi-million dollar lawsuit but they're not going to get any money from him it is a, a a tool a mechanism for the family to get some answers so absolute respect to them because no criminal charges were brought against nick this was a civil case and yeah, really part of Chrissy's family's desperate attempts to just get some fucking answers. Mm. Chrissy eventually died from pneumonia on the 26th of July in 2015. And that was six months after she'd been found unresponsive in that bath. That is a long time as well. It's a really long time. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, there was a lot of to and fro in between Bobby, Brown and the rest of the family as to whether to take Chrissy off life support. And I think Bobby just couldn't bring himself to do it. But she was, in his words, a vegetable, not not a term I would want to use, but she had catastrophic brain damage. And even if she had survived, it, it wouldn't have been any kind of life. And I think there were also, towards the end of Chris's life, there were some concerns about the pain that she was in and how they could manage oh, that pain. yeah. Yeah, wow. so I, I think that probably pushed him to make that difficult decision. Nick was never charged in relation to any of Chrissy's family's allegations against him, but he continued to lead a troubled life over the following months and years. His rap sheet included arrests for kidnap and domestic violence against a girlfriend who said that during a June 2017 fight, Nick punched her so hard she wondered if she was actually dead. And doesn't that point to a guy who was handy with, with his fists? Yeah, And who exactly. probably did belt Chrissy all the time. Nick did eventually turn his life around. He moved to Florida where his mom had relocated to. He changed his name in a desperate bid to escape his past and he got a job and it was a normal job. Oh wow. So he did kind of turn that around a little bit then. He he really did. He really did eventually. 
But sadly, old habits die hard, and in late 2009, Nick found himself homeless, living in a hotel, and back on drugs. Oh God, so actually, he only kind of turned it around for a short time then. Yeah, yeah, it could could have been, could have been that he turned it around and went on to lead a a relatively normal life Mm. and, and get over this in some way. On New Year's Eve in 2019, Nick purchased a quantity of black tar heroin, which I think is a a kind of dirtier grade of normal heroin, which he snorted throughout the night. And as 2019 became 2020, Nick's body began to shut down. He died on New Year's Day with black liquid and clotted blood pouring out of his nose. A sad end to a sad life. He was just 30 years old. Oh my God, just 30 as well. But just 30. black tar heroin just sounds horrendous. And then the way you described how he died as well. Oh, yeah, I mean, there, there are pictures of there are pictures of his hotel room online. If you want to look at them, we won't put them on social media, but uh, they show this hotel room and that there's sort of, you know, like feces on the floor and blood, dried patches of blood and vomit and... You know, it's disgusting. And there is a little bit more to this. I've not gone into loads of detail, but Nick was with somebody at this time. I think he'd met her through work. She was partying with him that night. And the two of them uh, slept side by side, I think, in the bed. And, um, and yeah, she discovered Nick, I think, at 5am. Oh, uh, my goodness. On New Year's Day. That's awful. Yeah, and he was... laying next to somebody and then realising that that's how they've died at some point while you've both been asleep as well. Like... Oh yeah. God! And I, you know, I really hope she's been able to turn her life around. Um, but I don't want to go into. I've just not gone into detail about her. Um, so, so yeah, so you know, we've seen Whitney die in 2012. We then saw Chrissy die in 2015. Very similar fate to her mother's, and then we see Nick die in very early 2020, just five years after Chrissy was found unconscious in the bath. So just tragic, you know. All three of them dead. Um, and actually, if you go online, you can look at Bobby Brown, uh, Chris's dad, and he lost a son to drug addiction not that long ago as well. So, so much tragedy surrounding this family and the wider family. But what do we think happened to Chrissy? Was Nick responsible for her death? Um, we have to ask the same question, I think, about Whitney's death. I think we kind of satisfied that he wasn't responsible for that. But there are similarities. It's, you know, eerily similar that Nick was at the scene on both occasions. But I, I think it's safe to say he wasn't responsible for Whitney's death. Uh, not directly anyway. But I, what do you think, Bethan, about his involvement in in uh, Chris's death? We can say what the fuck we want because he's dead. So, <laughs> um, um, I don't know. I find it really interesting. I do think that... Um, if it was like premeditated or he chose to murder, then potentially it would be slightly different. And I don't think you'd leave somebody, um, and they're unconscious and that side of things. And the fact that he says he didn't say half the stuff, but he crawled into that other bedroom and just slept at the end of a bed and stuff, just to me screams at someone who is off their tits. So maybe he did say what he said to the unnamed witness maybe he didn't who knows but equally whatever he was doing he was clearly a mess and so I my gut reaction is that Whitney's death was an accident but it so badly affected him and then in the midst of an argument jealous rage thinking that his girlfriend's cheating on him or whatever he's going through in his brain um he's then done something that's like almost his mind has focused on which is the bathtub and I think that that's my kind of thing is in the heat of the moment he's seen red he's done something horrendous and then gone off and gone back to sleep because his brain's not focusing clearly but Mm. I don't think it was premeditated however I do think he meant to do it in that moment that's interesting I don't Mm. think it was premeditated either I kind of I'm a bit split with it I think there's there's potential that uh, Chrissy had been taking all these drugs on, in, you know, into the early hours of that morning. And I think maybe it was just Nick and Max that had been out. I think Chrissy had been at home taking this cocktail of drugs out of her mind. I think Nick had come back, started a row with her, had a massive argument, probably knocked her out. 
Um, Chris is like fucked because of all the drugs and he's then panicked because she's maybe unconscious and he's tried to perform the plunge to revive her and it's just not happened. Um, but I, I'm kind of with you as well. He could have absolutely been enraged, seen red and meant to half drown her in the bath. I just, it's so messy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's horrible. As ever, let us know your thoughts on this one. Hopefully um, you don't mind that I've gone off piste and done something a little bit different this week because, as I said, we don't actually know if there is uh, a crime here. Uh, But we have uh, discussed that and we have kind of done similar before. If you would like to listen to a number of bonus episodes, we have at least 35 over on Patreon. Uh, we've covered all sorts over on there, I think. We um, have. We've done some very interesting episodes. We've done Jimmy Savile we did over there, I think. Yeah. Um, but all sorts. So do um, do check it out. And, and your support over on Patreon makes a massive difference to us. And it might help us get to the point where we can just jack our jobs in and do this full time. So that would be the dream. So if you're able to and you want to, uh, head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast and uh, and check it out. And also don't forget our show sponsor. That's adapax.com and use code RED5. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.